the devil would want us to magnify our problems. It ticks him off when we magnify our God. We gather in his name and in this place as his people to magnify who he is. and He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our joy and our worship. He is worthy of our lives. When we look at the kingdom attitudes that we are supposed to have, it is easy to say, well, if circumstances are right, these would be true in my life. But that is not the world in which we live in. We live in a fallen world. And in that fallen world, there are crises and there are problems and there are issues that we deal with. And none of us is immune. All of us have problems. All of us have issues. All of us have things going on that could easily suck the life out of us and cause us to lose focus on the magnificent God. But it is in those moments that God becomes most magnificent when you realize that he is Lord and you're not and that you're not in control, but he is. And so when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, and now the third one, peace. By the way, these are all mentioned in John 15. When you look at these first three, they happen in the crucible of life. They happen not in isolation, not when everything is perfect. Paul is writing to churches in persecution and people going through hard times and lives are being threatened and families are being pulled apart and there are all kinds of issues going on in the Roman Empire and yet Paul says this is what the Spirit of God looks like in his people when they are walking in the Spirit. Previously he said what the works of the flesh are. Now he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, we're going to have a little moment of audience participation. So I want you, with your mouth open and your voice speaking, to finish the following sentences. I'm ready to throw in the... Good. School's back. Second one. I'm at the end of my... Third one. My life is falling... Number four. I'm at wits... Man, you guys are good. We should just go get some ice cream and go home. <laughs> Americans consume 20 tons of painkiller a day trying to find peace. I was with Charles Lowry uh, last two weeks and he said, America seems to try to find everything in a pill. The idea is to sit still and take a pill. 
Vance Havner said, peace is not packaged in pills. There's a verse in your notes, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know, I've got a hunch. This is just a holy hunch. I think it's a sanctified hunch. I think there are days when Joel Osteen can't smile. I think that the guy that wrote The Power of Positive Thinking had negative thoughts. You know, you, you know it's going to be a bad day when the bird chirping outside your window is a buzzard? I mean, there are all kinds of... Life throws stuff at us. Some of us know that life throws stuff at us. Some of us are clueless that life throws stuff at us, and some of us don't know what life's going to throw at us yet. But all of us are looking for one thing. We're looking for peace. We're looking for a release from tension, from stress, from anxiety, from fear, and that's where God's Word comes in. Because God gives us a peace that the world and a pill cannot give us. So let's look at the principle of peace. The Hebrew word shalom is used 360 times in 330 verses in the Bible. Shalom does not mean, and if you've been to Israel, you know that somebody will say shalom, peace. Shalom does not mean the absence of tension or hostility. Shalom means tranquility of order. In other words, I am tranquil and I feel in order, although everything around me may not be that way. The word peace is used 90 times in the Greek New Testament, and it has to do with to join or to set as one something that has been pulled apart. Most often, it's our emotions, it's our heart. Or it could be our souls are apart from God, and God by his peace brings us together in right fellowship with him. The peace of God. It's a picture of two opposing forces that have been separated and now reconciled. Boy, if you go through the Bible and you start looking up peace, it, it is everywhere. He's the God of peace. It's the gospel of peace. We preach peace by Christ. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Now, <clears throat> if peace is the goal, then worry is the opposite. The biblical idea of worry means to be pulled apart, to be at odds with yourself to be upset or to be worried. And yet Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about the number of hairs on your head, about the clothes you're going to wear. I know the sparrows, and nobody counts sparrows. I mean, I know people that are big into bird watching. That's for the birds, by the way. But I, I, I know people that are big into that. But they don't count sparrows. Why? Because sparrows are so common. And yet, Jesus said, the Father knows when a sparrow hits the ground. He knows everything that's going on. 
Don't worry about the number of your days, about the, the hairs on your head. See, here's what God has said. God has not only promised peace, he is the provider of peace. It's not something that's elusive, it's him. He is the source of our peace. And if we have the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is his peace. That's one of the things we get. That's one of the perks of being a Christian. You want to know what the, the perks are? That's one of the perks of being a Christian. I was thinking about Jesus in that boat in the storm. And on the Sea of Galilee, a storm can come up very quickly. And Jesus is in a boat, the storm's going on, and Jesus is at such peace, he's asleep. Now, they didn't have Ambien back then, and they didn't have Unisom or, anything, or Advil PM or anything else. He's just asleep. And the disciples are freaked out. They obviously assumed some things. There's a storm. They were right. God doesn't care. They were wrong. How could Jesus sleep through this and leave us to do this on our own? He hadn't. And so they woke him up. And Jesus said, peace, be still. Now, most of the sermons that you hear on that passage in Mark will say he spoke to the storm and said, peace, be still. I believe he also spoke to the disciples. Peace, be still. You boys, calm down. I'm on top of the waves. I know what's under the waves. I'm in the wind, and I'm in charge. God wants us to understand peace and how we have peace with him. It's not a matter of your surroundings. It's a matter of your surrender. Surroundings can change. Surrender is a daily choice. I choose to surrender to God, to live in harmony with him, to listen to him. Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> Paul mentions peace in three ways. For he himself is our peace. He made peace through the cross. And Jesus preached peace by reconciling Jews and Gentiles to one another and to God. So here's where peace comes. It comes through Jesus. You're not going to get peace apart from Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, there is nothing you can do to find peace. You can win the lottery, you won't find peace. You can get a clean bill of health, you won't find peace. You can find the love of your life, you will not find peace. There is no peace without peace with God. Peace with God brings the peace of God. You have to have peace with God to have the peace of God. Romans 5.1, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we have peace with God? Peace with God comes when we believe and embrace the truth that at the cross, God reconciled his hatred for sin with his love for man through the blood of Jesus. That God took our sin. His wrath was poured on his son. 
And when his wrath was poured on his son, my sin was taken care of at the cross. And so God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus for my sin. So I have peace with God through the cross. You don't get it any other way. Now, notice in your notes, the peace of God means the hostilities have ended. Now just stop right there. <clears throat> Some of us think God is still mad at us. And we live like it. And we act like it. And we respond like it. Peace with God means the hostilities are over. God took his wrath for your sin, past, present, and future, on his son at the cross. The wrath of God has been satisfied at the cross. And if you live as if you think God is angry at you, because maybe you had an earthly father that was always angry at you, or you don't have a picture of what an ideal father looks like, can I tell you something? A loving heavenly father dealt once for all with his hostility towards sin when he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's not mad at you. God loves you. He hates what sin does to you, but he loves you. You see, we can spend our lives thinking we've got to appease an angry God. The Son of God has already done that. He's appeased the wrath of the Father towards sin. Somebody had to take the price, and he did it. The fruit of peace has to do with the character of Christ being lived out in our lives. One of my favorite verses is Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since you were called to peace. That word rule means to umpire. Let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Set the boundaries of the plate. This is a strike. This is a ball. Let the peace of God tell you when you're off the plate. When you're out of bounds, let the peace of God arbitrate in your heart. Look at the notes. I want you to see this quote. The God of peace is God's own assurance. The calming impact of the abiding presence of the Spirit in my life. When I abide in him and he abides in me, I don't have to be stressed out. Why? God is not anxious and stressed out. I don't have to be. When I'm in a tough situation, I rest in the fact that God is guarding my heart. The enemy is trying to tear down this fortress, this garrison God has built, but he can't. I want you to write some words down in this very familiar passage of Philippians. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So write down the word rejoice or underline it because it's twice. That's why we know God knew there would be Baptist. He had to say it twice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Relax 
Rejoice. Relax. Don't run around like a chicken with its head cut off. Relax. God's got this. Whatever it is in your life, God's got it. He's not been caught unaware. He's not surprised. Nor is he inefficient to deal with what you're dealing with. Verse 6, be anxious for what? Nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, you can't even measure it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Next word is rest. Rest in the fact that God gives a peace that is beyond all comprehension. That God knows and God sees. And so if I turn everything to him in prayer, and I'm not worrying on my knees, then I can rest in the fact that God sees and God hears and God knows and God cares. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Renew. Renew the way you think. Renew your mind. Think with a new mind. Think on these things. Think this way. Think like this. Renew your mind. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now remember, verse 7, it was the peace of God. Now it's the God of peace. You need both. The word there is receive. Receive what God has for you. God has his peace. Now let me tell you why that's important. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of problems. Listen, if you have a day where you don't have any problems, you're going to meet somebody five minutes later that does. This world is full of problems. Peace is not the absence of problems. I mean, I grew up in the 60s with the hippies, and, you know, it was all about we just want to give peace a chance, and it's not going to happen apart from Christ. It can happen apart from Christ. This world is in turmoil because it's at odds with God. But peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. And so the peace of God becomes my experience. I can experience the peace of God. Peace rules my mind when God rules my mind. Peace rules my heart when God rules my heart. Now, if I'm going to run and control my mind and my heart, I may not have peace. But peace rules when God rules. The God of peace is God's provision. Listen, God did not say, I'll send you an angel. He's giving you himself, the God of peace. 
Paul did not say, if you'll think on these things, if you'll remember these things, if you'll do these things, then there's going to be an angel assigned to you. There might be, but that's speculation. Better than an angel is that the God of peace will be with you. That God himself is with you. Now, I'm not against angels. But if I had a choice, if God gave me a choice between I can give you an angel or I can give you myself, I choose him. Because angels are created. I choose him. He's everlasting. I, I'm going to choose the God of peace. That's my provision. Well, you just don't know what I'm going through. The God of peace. He's the provision that you need for whatever it is. Peace is the consciousness of the sufficiency of the Father on your part. God is sufficient for you. God doesn't go, well, you know, all these people over here, man, I can take care of them, but whew, we get over here, Ken, I'm really sorry, man. I just ran out of it. And all of you behind him, y'all should have sat over there. But, and man, y'all don't even have a chance over here. God says, I got it all. I've got every one of you. Well, but there are billions of believers in the world. He's got that. If, if you don't believe that, your God's too small. God is sufficient for the moment, and I need to be conscious of his sufficiency in Christ in moments when I become conscious of the problems more than I am of the presence of God. So let's look at the practical aspects. First of all, in relationships. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, it's going to come up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. You ever walked in a church and thought you needed to say to somebody, be joyful? <laughs> Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and what? Peace. Then, then meaning if I do all of this, if I'm joyful, growing in maturity, encouraging each other, living in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. You know what the answer to a troubled church, a troubled relationship, a conflicted relationship, you know what it is? The peace of God. Going to God and say, God, I can't fix this. I can't change this. I can't make this work. You're the one that's going to have to make it work. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You ever been around people that just always want to pick a fight? It's a violation of that verse. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that doesn't mean just become a punching bag for people to just knock around however they want to. Paul is writing to the church and saying, let essentials be essential, but let non-essentials be non-essential, and don't get the two confused. Don't worry about stuff that's not important. Let me tell you what's not important. What's not important is whatever you're worried about that you won't worry about five seconds after you meet Jesus. Everything else is not important. If you're not ready to meet Jesus, that's the only thing you need to be thinking about. 
If you're ready to meet Jesus, you want to meet Jesus on good terms. I mean, you know, I'm just, I think I, this is just my holy hunch. Because some Baptist churches have business meetings all the time. And they never do anything. They never baptize anybody, but they have business meetings. I think the Lord's going to come during a business meeting, and the last thing that some people are going to say before they end in the presence of God is, Out of order! <laughs> and they're going to look Jesus in the face. I don't want to meet Jesus that way. As far as possible, be at peace with all men. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Which simply means our shared love for God means that we can overcome our differences. We don't have to all agree politically. We don't have to all like the same football team. All of you can be wrong about who you cheer for. That's fine. I'll pray for you. We don't have to like the same kind of food, the same kind of restaurants. You know, I'll go out to eat with somebody sometimes. I say, I say what do you want? They say, anywhere's fine. I say, okay. And they say, as long as it's not Chinese, Mexican, Italian, or, or American, or... By the time they've named that, we've just got bread and water. I mean, that's all we're down to. <laughs> In our relationships, we learn that it is more important that we build the body up with the peace of God that attracts a lost world that is in turmoil than that we get our way. First, the three evidences of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. That's Christ revealed in our lives. Peace is not avoiding situations or people. You ever done this? I know you've never done this. I've done this. You see somebody coming, and they're coming this way, and you go, <laughs> start walking the other direction. Or they see you, and they start walking the other direction. You know, if you just want to, you know, if you want to heat coals of fire, just follow them. Peace is not by avoiding people. Peace is not by saying that person doesn't exist. Peace is not letting unresolved conflicts go unresolved. Nor is peace appeasement. I just want to keep the peace. You'll hear that in a lot of homes. I just, just want to keep the peace, but you won't speak the truth. And so somebody in the family's got real issues, and you won't speak the truth. Somebody in the family says, this family's got problems, and everybody else in the family's going, yeah, and, and we're looking at him. But you'll never say it, because you don't want to hurt their feelings. Peace is not the absence of a confrontation when needed. Jesus was the prince of peace, but he confronted bad theology and bad religion and legalism, and Judaizers. But he did it with a heart filled with the peace and love of the Father. Church health, relationships, Ephesians 4.3. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 14 said, Make every effort to do what leads to peace. Now, if you've got a, a Bible or you can get there quick, just go to Romans 14. 
Let me tell you the key to peace with other people. It's all right here in Romans 14. You say, well, they don't like the team I like. They don't go to the school I go to. They don't live in the neighborhood I live in. They, they don't vote for the people I vote for. They're all different. And you can get all hung up on that stuff. And think your job is to win people over to your school or to your political party and forget that your job is to win people over to the love of God. And you win an argument and lose the battle. Romans 14.3, let me just look at it. We're not going to take time to read it, but I want you to see these are the keys to peace. We have the same Lord. We've got the same Lord. Verse 4, we, have the, we serve the same master. So we have the same Lord. We serve the same master. Verses 5 through 9, <clears throat> nine we all live for the Lord. And verses 10 through 12, we are accountable to the Lord. So we have the same Lord. We serve the same master. We live for the Lord and we're accountable to the Lord. That ought to mean we have peace with one another. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 8 says, Fools start fights everywhere. Wise men try to keep the peace. How about in prayer? Peace comes, I think, in prayer. Remember, prayer leads us to love God, grow together, serve others, and change the world. Everything comes out of a prayer environment. Why are the Psalms the dirtiest pages in the Bible? Because of the fingerprints and the oil on the fingerprints are all over the Psalms because when you get in trouble, you start going to the book that talks about trouble. And the Psalmist talked about all kinds of trouble. People that hated him, people that wanted to kill him, adversity in his life, problems in his life, rebellion of his son, sin in his own life. I mean, it's all over the Psalms. And you read the Psalms, you see that God always turns the heart of the psalmist. He starts out with a complaint, and he ends up praising God because God gets back in view in his life. How much praying have you done about your problem? I know how much worrying you've done. Because we all worry. Some of us worry on our knees. I mean, we just get on our knees and we worry, and then we get up and we keep worrying. You see, if, if I'm worried about something and I pray about it, but then I get up from praying and I'm still worrying, I just worried on my knees. Prayer is saying, Lord, I can't, you can. I don't know how, you do. I can't fix this, you can fix this. I can't talk my prodigal into coming home. You can talk to my prodigal in their sleep. I can't get my finances in order. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm going to leave it with you. He's the sufficient God, and we can have peace with the sufficient God. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for peace, read the Psalms. If you think you've got problems, read Job. Put everything in perspective. Now, I grew up on the coast. <clears throat> we had these little nuisances called hurricanes. 
My parents were not very smart. They stayed through every hurricane. I'm still in counseling over that. <laughs> I mean, they stayed through every one of them. They stayed through Camille. I mean, we were at Calvary Baptist Church on the second floor of a building that wasn't well built, and the lieutenant governor happened to be from Pascagoula, and he was in the church down in the office trying to keep the governor's office informed as long as he could. And, he, and, the, and the governor's office in Jackson said, if the eye of Camille hits Pascagoula, there are only three buildings that are going to be standing when it's through. Now, what bothered us was that no church was mentioned, but the jail was mentioned. <laughs> I was thinking about going out and breaking into a car, you know, try to get thrown in jail before the night was over. But here's what you know about a hurricane. The eye of a hurricane is calm. The most powerful winds and most destructive winds of a hurricane are right on the edge of the center of the hurricane. It is where the most damage is done. But if you've ever been through a hurricane, which I would not suggest, when the eye passes over, you've had storms and transformers blowing and trees coming down and houses being knocked down and trailers blown apart. All this chaos and disaster is going on. But when the eye of the storm passes you, you can look up and the sky is clear and it's calm and it's the most peaceful day you've ever been in in your life. And I've done that. I've been right off the eye of a storm. The eye turns and comes through and I've gone out and stood for about 10 or 15 minutes and went back in because the next wave is hitting. Now here's what you need to understand. Oceanographers <clears throat> say that in a hurricane, the most massive destructive Cat 5 hurricane, that the waters below the surface are not disturbed more than about 25 feet down. So 25 feet below the surface, it's calm. Nemo is swimming around. Dory is, I mean, everybody's cool and calm and collected. All the storm is on the surface. The calm is underneath, 25 feet down. You go just offshore, they don't even have a clue anything's going on. It's just calm. That's the way the peace of God is. On the surface, the storm may be raging. But if you get down close enough to below the surface and get with God, you'll be calm. You just got to get off the surface and quit dealing with life from the surface and start looking below the surface where God can keep your heart calm. I want to read this quote to you. In many ways, God's peace is one of the greatest miracles he performs on the human heart. When circumstances are overwhelming, 
the peace of God surpasses them. The great miracle of grace is God can give peace in the midst of the storm. Sometimes we want God to calm the storm, but what he wants to do is to calm us in the storm. Would you bow your heads, please? If you don't know Christ today, then I want to encourage you that today is a day of salvation. Now's the accepted time to allow the peace of God to take over your heart and over your life. To allow the peace of God to rule your heart and your life. With our heads bowed, just seated where we are, I'm going to ask you if today you need to make peace with God. That you just get up, just kind of crawl over, they'll let you by the folks that are around you and just come find one of these men and say, today I need God's peace. I need my heart settled with God. I need to know grace and forgiveness and mercy and peace. Anybody need to do that today?